Um, whereas for my generation, it was very much this will this will quiet down your own inner sense of who am I, uh, which would m- meant a lot to people in my generation. But then it's now it's like, how can I help others? Which is great because I love I prefer to teach on how we can help each other. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen, an attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk. Uh, good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest who will introduce himself. Robert, please go ahead. Hi, my name is Robert Hahn, and I am the founder and chairman of the Central American Training Foundation. I'm also the founder and chair of Honduras Compassion Partners and a couple of other uh, nonprofits. And as well as I've been the senior pastor at Chesapeake Church for 30 years. I met Morris at a uh, convening of thought leaders in the nonprofit world, and we really hit it off, and I'm thrilled to be a part of the podcast with you. So, yeah. hi. And, and it's great having you, uh, Robert. Uh, can you tell a little bit about um, you know, a project that you're working on uh, at the moment that's close to your heart? Yeah, well, first, I've been in the nonprofit arena since 1984, um, and I just believe in the nonprofit sector as an important part of our whole social structure. The thing that I'm working on right now is for uh, training opportunities in Central America and Honduras specifically, um, and then specifically training in the area of first responders and EMS and firefighters and all of the emergency personnel to train them and to also equip them to uh, work together, especially within the Northern Triangle of Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. Shared protocols, shared equipment, uh, just the whole shared uh, way of working together. Uh, that's uh, what's close to my heart these days. In terms of the next steps for that particular project, what do you hope will, will happen? You know, Where do you see it go from you know, from today, uh, yeah, five years from now? Well, five years from now, we hope to have uh, already have constructed and we are already occupying our own Central America Training Center in La Paz, Honduras, which is about six miles from the newest uh, airport, international airport to open in Honduras. And in there, there will be all kinds of training and conferences uh, for the all of the uh, first responder personnel and hazmat training and hazmat uh, personnel, as well as a uh, control center, command center for when um, natural disasters and industrial disasters and other kinds of disasters happen. So we hope to be there in five years. But we just recently made the decision at the board level that we're not going to wait for the center to be built, that we're going to aggressively start doing the training now uh, and 
no matter how makeshift it has to be, that we've got to get folks up and trained because it's critical. It's on environmental. It impacts. Uh, it impacts migration. Believe it or not, it impacts the economy. It impacts health, women's issues. I mean, this area. I think that's what really got me motivated. That what the first responders and the hazmat and the EMS personnel do in those countries virtually glides into every other issue facing that part of the world. They're even the COVID responders. They're the ones who take care of that. It's all the same people. And how did you end up, you know, building it in Honduras? Well, um, that started as part of my uh, pastor being a pastor of a church and deciding where we wanted to do missions. And we really wanted to do missions in one area, one town, stay there, get to know the people. And uh, that became La Paz in Honduras. And it just, uh, we were visiting different countries. I knew we wanted to be somewhere in Central America. My background is uh, Hispanic Puerto Rican. My mother's Puerto Rican. My grandfather's from Spain. So I knew I wanted that something that was part of the culture that I had been raised in. Uh, and I can speak the language you know, well enough and, and can uh, integrate culturally. And so we, we looked at Guatemala, we looked at Saint, uh, Dominican Republic, but when I got to Honduras, I just said, this is it. And um, we settled on La Paz because that airport was coming in and this was 13 years ago. So we were, but they, they, we took 13 years for them to build that airport, but we knew it would come in and we bought 17 acres right there And we've been building on it and uh, do, sending our mission teams there. So that's how we ended up in Honduras. And I always want to make sure that the listeners can, you know, find more information about the projects or the organizations that my guests are speaking about. So where... Is there a website that sure. uh, they can check out? And are you on social media? Yep. There's uh, two organizations, both of which um, I'm the founder of, and you can check them out, both of them. One is HondurasCompassion.org, HondurasCompassion.org. Uh, and you can find Honduras Compassion Partners on Facebook and on Twitter. And the other one is our is the Central American Training Foundation, the Central American Training Foundation, and that is sendtrain.org, C-E-N-T-R-A-I-N, sendtrain.org. That's our website, Central American Training Foundation. We're also on Twitter and Facebook as well. We'd love to have you check us out, follow us, and see uh, how you can participate in the good work that yeah. we're, we're doing there. And, and you know, we, we have podcast notes always, and then we'll make Thank sure you. that, uh, um, you know, I, I will note it. Um, uh, well, uh, Robert, you know that uh, I started this particular podcast to um, as, as a spin-off of a, of a walk that I've been doing for the last mm -hmm. 10 years to raise um, awareness about hunger, poverty, and injustice. Um, and so the question that I always ask my guests uh, as well is, you know, if you would be asked to walk 100 miles in a week um, for a cause, for which cause would that be? <laughs> well, I told you, I don't even like to walk down the hall, but uh, I would uh, walk. Th there are two causes that I would mm. I would actually walk 100 miles. And I think it's a great idea. I think it's a fantastic idea. And I think you're going to actually convince me to do it. Um, I would walk 100 miles uh, for hunger, 
because I think hunger is the scandal of our times. There's no reason why anyone in the world should be hungry. There's more food than we know what to do with. And then the other one would be for social justice, especially in, in the area of Central America, where um, any kind of justice is just so hard to come by. Uh, and that it's, it, there's, I would walk 100 miles for that because there's just this, it's a caste system. We don't like to use that word, but that's what it is. Uh, and, and it's really tough to break out of that. And it's all because of social um, ceilings that are put on people. You know, so that includes education, includes a lot of things, but I would do it for that. Yeah. Either one of those. A question related with that one is, is uh, you know, what, what drives you, uh, Robert? You know, when, when the alarm goes off in the morning, why do you wake up and, and go, up, you know, to work and do the stuff that you do? I am passionate about making a difference. Uh, and always, even as a little kid, I just was passionate about doing something practical that I knew changed the lives of other people. I mean, I didn't grow up wealthy. I didn't grow up poor. I grew up really middle-class America in the 60s and 70s. And so I don't know what it is, but I just wanted to make a difference. I remember someone gave me a book on ending world hunger when I was about uh, 25. And that, that maybe younger, I must've been younger than that. And that really started me off on a course of the nonprofit world, the, the, the social sector. And so, yeah, waking up knowing that I'm involved with two things, programs and activities that make a real difference in real people's lives and inspiring the next generation to carry on that same work. Those are the two things that wake me up and get me going. Hmm. And I love what I do. Yeah. And, and when did you become a, a pastor? Uh, I became a pastor in 1994, officially. Although I started helping out with the church in 1991, uh, it was the church I was a part of. The pastor had uh, resigned due to just personal issues, nothing scandalous. He just had his own stuff to deal with. I started to fill in and help. And after two years, when they couldn't find anyone to take the job, they said, no one else will do this. Will you do it? And I went, yeah, okay. And I started going to seminary and I got my master's degree in divinity uh, after that. But it really was something I kind of fell into, believe it or not. And uh, I've been doing that for 30 years and I'm retiring from the senior pastor position at the end of this year, but I'm not retiring. I'm just retiring from that position. Hmm. You know, the, the title of, of this, post, this podcast is Walk a Talk. Um, you know, for, for myself, listen is, is the most important one. I, mm -hmm. I try to listen well to, to my guests and I found out that I'm not that great at it, and although I'm slowly improving. But my question to you is, you know, walk and talk. Do you, do you, um, you know, if you look at yourself, do you, are you able to walk the talk? I hope so. Um, yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, um. I, yeah, I mean, I devote my whole life to service of others. 
uh, in serving others, whether it's through the church or whether it's through the nonprofit world. And I've turned down lots of private sector opportunities, you know, that would have afforded me more material goods and uh, more authority, so to speak, and uh, certainly a lot more freedom. But uh, no, I I love what I I do, and I love uh, I loved being pastor for thirty years. I love serving God that way and serving people through Him. Yeah, I believe I do. Great, that's a great question. You you mentioned it about in terms of the causes, you know that, uh, you know the 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 next generation is is important uh, to you. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, you know, when I walked for the last 10 years um, in person with other people for a mile or two miles, we often talked about the next generation. And uh, the discussions that we often had were about religion and spirituality and the younger generation. And some of my co-walkers said, you know, ex- actually, the next generation is really different. Uh, they might still be spiritual, uh, but they are not religious anymore. And others are saying, no, that's not true. Um, they might be less attracted to institutionalized religion, but they are still, you know, similar to, you know, the present and the generation before. So what is your take on that? What is happening in your community? What do you see around, you know, the youth and religion and spirituality? Yeah, it's been fascinating. Um, because I've watched what now three generations. Um, I'm a classic baby baby boomer born in 1957, mm-hmm. right in the middle of it. So I've been able to watch Gen X, the millennials and Gen Z all come into maturity. And I find that uh, although it manifests itself in different ways, everybody has a, essentially a God-shaped hole inside them a yearning to be connected to something bigger than themselves an acknowledgement that there is a creator and a desire to be in community and relationship with that creator and that i i find that across the board Uh, so generationally they may experience it or practice it differently but they all want the same thing it was the same thing i wanted it's what drove me into church you know because in my generation that's what you did you went to church, uh, and they, in the end, because the, of the desire for community, uh, every generation will say, well, I don't want organized religion, but I do want to meet with a group of people who believe the same things I do, and that becomes organized. <laughs> so, mm. yeah, we just we just have that desire to, I think, be in relationship with our creator, and we have that desire to be in community with other people with that creator as a part of that community. Mm-hmm. I think everybody has that. So if I listen to you, what, what you say, well, you know, the um, the search or the, the, you know, everybody is looking for community. Um, so that is still the, the, the threat within old um, generations. Did that then make you change uh, the way you were running the church? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and absolutely. Can you give some examples of, of you know, how you did that? Well, um, what's changed over the years, uh, one was um, 
first of all, just the music, you know, I mean, we, we're a contemporary church. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we kept changing with music as music changed. Um, even worship music, I mean, has to stay contemporary. Mm-hmm. So that way, the way we approach things, for instance, in, in my generation, the approach in presenting uh, God would be, well, show me the benefit of it. Show me what, you know, what works. Generation X was sort of the same way, but the millennials are just saying, just tell me what you believe. Don't apologize for it. And I'll decide if I like it or not. So you actually are able to get way more to the point. The other piece that's different about the millennial generation is they they have a very strong sense of mercy towards others. So you lean into that part of spirituality about mercy and caring and compassion. Um, whereas for my generation, it was very much this will this will quiet down your own inner sense of who am I, uh, which would m- meant a lot to people in my generation. But then it's now it's like, how can I help others? Which is great because I love, I prefer to teach on how we can help each other. Um, so I find that you, so it manifests itself that way that you begin to, you speak the language of the person you're trying to reach rather than ask them to speak my language. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, you know, it's King Solomon wrote thousands of years ago that God has set eternity on the hearts of all people. And what that means, we just have that inner desire. Every person's born with it to reach out and somehow touch the eternal. You just have to find the language that they speak and speak to them in that language. I have two follow-up questions as a result of what I just heard you, uh, you say. The first one is, um, if I understood it well, um, you're about to leave uh, the church and to you know, put attention to the two uh, other things that you do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my position at the church. Your position at, at yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, if you look back at, at that, because it's coming to an end now, that particular chapter, mm-hmm. um, what are you most proud of? And are there things that you would do differently uh, now? Uh, I think what I'm, well, I think the thing that I'll be most proud of, I haven't accomplished yet. And that will be the smooth transition of leadership because we're pretty much a first generation church. We have not really done true generational leadership transition. And so if we can get through that, it's one of the reasons why, although I'm stepping off a senior pastor, I'm not disappearing because I'll be here to help the next leadership uh, transition and get up on their feet and get running Uh, sort of, you know, that passing of the baton. There's that moment when both people, both runners are holding the baton. Uh, But if I can, along with my team, if we can generationally transition leadership, and then leave a model so that they'll be able to do that when we're gone to the next generation. I think I'll be most proud of that. Uh, and that may sound a little strange, but the work that we do here, we want it to continue. I think the second thing is um, 
we have a core, we have three core values. And one of them is that all people matter to God. And, you know, our country, uh, the United States, at least has been through, is it, there's a lot of aggression in the United States right now. Um, and it's, it's comes from the left. It comes from the right. It comes to the center. There's just a real attack mode. And we've been um, stressing that all people matter to God, even the people that you don't like and the people that you don't agree with, they still matter to God. And if we can put that at the forefront of our thinking about humanity and filter everything through that, it really does inform our behavior. And I think that um, I'll be proud of that to see a community. You know, what I love about this church is that in that congregation, you have the full broadband spectrum of the political from left wing to right wing to the middle. You have Republicans, Democrats, independents. We have wealthy to people who are, you know, using food pantries to feed their families. We have uh, highly educated to people who made it through sixth grade. We just have all walks of life uh, who set aside all of their differences to be in unity and community because all people matter. And, um, that that would be the second thing that I'm just proud of and what I'm I'm looking forward to seeing continue. We need a little bit more of that, I think. And my my second part of the question was that what do you think you should have done better? Uh, everything. <laughs> everything. Um the thing I wish I had done better would have been a little less impulsive. But maybe that's just from being young. Um, they used to say about me, they said, Robert banged his head and now has a new idea for us. You know, and I would come in every day with a new idea. And I think uh, in the earliest years, especially, I whipsawed the community a little bit, you know, by let's do this, let's do that, let's do this, let's do that. And I would have uh, just dug deeper. And we finally got our footings. But I think that, um, you know, is more patience, more focus. Uh, so I surrounded myself with people who kept me focused. It, you talked about, you know, the importance of, of, of music in uh, Uh, especially with the younger generation. I, yeah. I really like talking about music. It's important for me. So a question that I that I always ask is, if they ask you to come up with a piece of music or a song that best embodies what you are about, uh, you know, for a big part, um, which piece of music or song would that be and why? Well, you know, um, that question made me laugh because I have what's known as my death songs. Mm. And these are the, the list of songs I've given people that I want played at my funeral. <laughs> and they're like, what are you talking about? I said, no, I, I have these songs and this is what I want played. Uh, so there's and that's different than songs that you would play at your birthday? Oh, yeah. No, these are the songs I want played when I'm dead. Okay. Like I want everybody and, and tell to tell me sing. why then, you know, name, name uh, one at well, least one. One, is, yeah. one I'll, I'll name uh, two okay. or three. The one is In My Life by the Beatles. Beatles, just because um, it's just about going through your life and who you care about and who matters to you. Um, the other one is a rather obscure song. It's called The Curtain Falls. 
and it was done by Bobby Darren. Uh, and it's, uh, it just talks about, um, he's at the end of his life and he says, this has just been great. And I love doing this and I can't believe I got paid to do it. Uh, and that just embodies how I feel about my life. You know, that I've, uh, I've really just been blessed and I can't believe they pay me to do what I do because I do it for free. And the third, you should said maybe three songs. So, Oh yeah. Um, oh gosh. I have to remember the name of it. It's a ukulele song. Um, uh, I don't have to come to me. Oh, I know it's, I got the, I got the, The title came to me. It's called I'll See You. It's called I'll See You in My Dreams. I'll okay. See You in My Dreams. By Joe Do you Brown. have a specific uh, artist who, uh, a, rendition, a particular rendition? Yeah, the one by Joe Brown. Oh, Joe Brown. Okay. Joe Brown. Yeah. Okay. We, we have, uh, again, to remind the listeners and to tell you, we have made a special uh, uh, playlist on Spotify. Uh, with all the songs that are chosen by my guests. So uh, if you go there and search for uh, hashtag walk, talk, listen, you will find the, um, Oh, wow. Okay. The, the song list. And it's, it's a really a mix of all kinds of, of music. Um, it, it's really nice. Robert, a lot is going on, and you alluded to to that already. You know, in in the world, um, a lot of things that need to change, um, mm-hmm. need to improve. What worries you most at the moment? You know, uh, the the death of George Floyd a couple of years ago really impacted me heavily um, because as a child of the '60s. I remember the death of John Kennedy. That's one of my earliest memories is the John Kennedy assassination. I remember vividly the Martin Luther King assassination, the um, Robert Kennedy, Kent State. And I just thought that somehow we were beyond that. And I, I realized it was an ignorant thought. And, and I just thought my grandchildren could grow up in a world that had moved a little bit past that kind of division. And um, it, uh, just the, the, the division of people among lines that ought not matter. Um, so, and, you know, and just all the injustice that's, that surrounds those divisions and the way power is divided and shared. And um, you know, that's when you ask me, do I walk the talk? I, you know, I've, I'd like to think I do because I really have never um, grabbed onto authority or power. Uh, and, and that just disturbs me to see how systems are really stacked against People are going to, you know, certain groups of people. And it, it is systemic, whether we want to admit it or not. Uh, it's, it's just built into the system, which is what that means. And being in Central America, you know, 
you go there, you have to say, you know, I'm not trying to turn you into Americans, which is what most people do, but to just say, how can we help each other get out of a ditch? So fill the ditch so you don't fall back in the ditch because nobody should live in a ditch. Just nobody should. I don't care who you are, where you're from. Nobody should. And we have the resources in this planet to do it. And, um, you know, that, 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 I mean, troubles me deeply that we just don't seem to be able to, you know, why can't we just, you know, dot that I and cross that T? Why? I, I'm confounded by that. Mm. That bothers me deeply. You know, my, my own organization um, mm. celebrated its 75th anniversary last year. And actually, that was also a time where we reflected on our own actions. And, and a big one was, you know, did we do enough around racial justice? Yeah. Um, and looking forward. If I ask you to kind of look at the NGO sector as a whole, because you're also involved with that. Mm -hmm. Um how are we doing there? You know, and 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 um, have we done enough? Clearly, in, uh, not enough. I mean, we're just alluding to that. What do we need to do for the future? Oh gosh, boy! If I had that answer, I'd write the book, wouldn't I? Uh, well, first, I'm a believer in it. The, the two um, nonprofits that I mentioned are both registered NGOs in Honduras. Uh, which is not an easy process to get registered as an NGO in, in a lot of countries. Um, and, and Maurice, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, we just have to keep going. And I was talking to someone the other day who uh, was very, she was very depressed over the shooting, the recent school shooting. And she was like, well, what good is anything doing if we can't protect our kids? And I said, you know, we have to do the good we do, not because we believe in the result. We have to do it because we believe in the work. And that, that's all I can say to encourage people is I don't know what the result's going to be. Uh, I do it because I believe in the work and I believe in doing it. And uh, because I believe in a higher power, I believe in God, I leave the result up to him. Uh, and that's how I, that's the only way to get through it. So we just keep, I think that what the NGOs could do better is become more grassroots, become more boots on the ground, become more engaged with the local areas that they're serving in. That is the one thing I do feel good about, about what we do. I know the people that we serve. I can walk down the street and say hello to them and they know me. I've been in the same area of La Paz now 13 years serving. I've watched five-year-olds become 18-year-olds and go to college. So that part is to just not be sometimes 50,000 feet up in the air. And I understand that need, but you've got, if you can't keep the connectivity in the villages, on the streets, in the lives of people, then, then it, it turns into theory really fast. So is, is that where you still see hope or what are your thoughts yeah, about it? Yeah, I see, I, I see hope in people connecting with people i think when people connect with people and look each other in the eye and see the common humanity 
that we all share, the dignity that we all deserve, that that's where change happens. And, you know, the, <laughs> Jesus said, the poor will be with you always. You know, and other people will say, God must love poor people. He made a lot of them. And we forget how wealthy we are in the United States compared to the global uh, economy. So if we can get past that and just see each other for people, we might not end world poverty, but we can bring dignity into the lives of people. We, you know, we, uh, that's where I see hope. I see hope in is if we connect people with people. That's always worked. That's always worked. Even, you know, the great stories of soldiers during World War One and World War II, when on Christmas they would just put down their weapons and they would actually have meals together. And then the next day they'd pick their guns up and start shooting each other. But but at least for a day, it showed that people can get along if they need to. And I guess I'm just a believer in that. I believe that people people matter. Where I got uh, some hope is, is uh, and it sounds strange, but in the beginning of COVID, mm-hmm. it seems that we all realized that, you know, we are interconnected. Uh, COVID is a pandemic. So if we want to solve it, we need to collaborate and we work, need to work together. That lasted maybe, you know, a week or two. And then we went back to our tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my question to you is about COVID is, is actually... Um, what did they do to the organizations that you are running? And uh, was that influence or the presence of COVID, was that different in your institution in Honduras in comparison to, you know, the institutions that you're leading in the U.S.? Yeah, very different. Uh, so here in the United States, uh, one of the nonprofits that uh, I'm involved with is called End Hunger. and the pandemic had um, almost no impact, negative impact. In fact, we grew. We grew because um, there were so many shut-ins that we had to get more food to more people. So for us, we never closed one day. We didn't close for one day during the pandemic. Uh, Now, we're in Southern Maryland. Southern Maryland was one of the less affected areas. you know, proportionally, not like New York and other areas that were really hit hard. So we we had that freedom here. Um, and we, you know, we had all the masks and social distancing and all that and schools closed, but we were able to uh, receive a uh, an exemption from the governor that what we were doing was we were uh, critical, critical employees. Uh, uh, so we never stopped working here. In Honduras, we were shut down. In Honduras, you were quarant- they quarantined the whole country in their homes. You couldn't leave your home except on certain days, depending on the last letter of your last name, to go shopping. And whatever was in the store that day, that's what you got. So, yeah, it shut us down in Honduras for a while. Um, so that was the practical impact. What I learned were, was two things. One, I... And this may sound callous, and I don't mean it to, but I did not realize how deeply afraid people were of dying. Afraid. You know, human beings, they say they're the only animal that are aware that they will die, you know, existentially aware. And yet we act as if it'll never happen. (laughs) And I was just the fear that gripped people. Um, 
that was a learning thing for me. Uh, the uh, other thing was what you kind of said, that people learned the importance of community and how fragile community really is. And so when people got isolated, it really started to, to change them. And not for the better. I mean, people got really hungry for community. That's what we found here. I mm. hope that answers your question. Yeah. And so how are these, how will you uh, take those lessons then for the future? Well, I'm of, more of sensitive. The organizations that you are leading, yeah. Well, one is uh, in Honduras, you know, we're always ready. To, they close that country with maybe 10 hours notice. I mean, they close the borders, everything. My wife was trapped in Honduras for nine days, could not leave till we got her on a U.S. military. Uh, I think just be more ready, be, you know, almost like, you know, the Boy Scout, you know, be prepared for the, uh, always be prepared. Um, so we were, you know, to be a little bit more prepared for that, a little bit more aware, um, to be more sensitive to how people, the, the, this inner fear that people seem to have, uh, we're a lot more sensitive to that now. <clears throat> And to constantly be strengthening people-to-people relationships, constantly be strengthening them, because that's what gets people through. That's what got people through in the end. They lost it, and we worked really hard to reestablish community and relationships. I mean, even what we're doing now, this whole, you know, if you could go back in time, you know, what would you do? If I could go back in time, I'd buy Zoom stock. That's what I'd do. <laughs> <laughs> right if i could if i could go back in time that's what i would do <laughs> i would buy stock in zoom hey these conversations always go go fast um and a question that i like is, is, is the last one in terms of, is there any message or invitation or question that you might have for the listeners? Well, I think the question would be, whatever your belief system is, at some point, you know, we close our eyes on this side of life, regardless of what we think happens on the other side. And when that time comes, uh, are you going to feel like you've lived a life well lived? You know, I, I have uh, seen people on their deathbeds. I've held friends in my arms as they died. And, and many, many in my years here. I've never seen somebody say, I didn't work enough hours. I didn't go bowling enough. You know, I didn't, they say I didn't spend enough time with my family. I didn't tell people that I love them. I didn't serve others enough. Um, and so I think, you know, th that the examined life, I think it was Socrates said, and, and so, you know, take the time now and examine your life and say, have I made my breath matter? Has my spirit, time here and the space I've taken mattered? Does it matter to other people? Uh, I would just uh, ask people to really, and then my invitation would be to get involved with a nonprofit or some kind of social uh, organization, social improvement organization that you believe in, that you feel confident about. Um, 
we'd love to have you involved with Honduras Compassion Partners or the Central Training Foundation, especially if you're a firefighter or in the EMS or hazmat, we need you to do training. We'd love to uh, get you down to Central America and do training. Um, but get involved with something. Walk 100 miles uh, for, for a cause that matters to you. But start doing something and, and um, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, just do anything because it matters what you do, but examine and find something and say, this is going to have a practical difference in someone's life uh, and, and then do it. I don't, I, I've never ser- seen the person who said I served too much. I was too generous. I was too kind. I forgave too many people. I've never heard that. Thanks. Uh, thank, yeah, thank you, uh, Robert. Um, My pleasure. Yeah, it was. Thank uh, you. It was great listening to you. Um, but I, you know, in addition what you what you just said, I, I would tell the listeners that it doesn't have to be big. Don't get overwhelmed. No. You know, uh, it's one step at a time, and and even a small thing might have enormous consequences. Yeah. So yeah. don't underestimate it. Yeah. Do relay for life. I mean, do yeah. do yeah. The power of one is huge. It's huge. That's just, thank you for for making that point. Yeah, it doesn't have to be big. Just do something that makes the world a little bit better. I said to someone the other day. I said we can't clean up the world, but maybe we can clean up our little corner of the world. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for uh, today, thank and you, I wish you all the best for thank everything you. you do. And thank you for doing what you do. This is great. I'm honored to be on on here. Yeah, I'm tell my fine. friends. Great, thanks. Thank you for listening to Walk Talk. Listen, please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.